them this is my Bible I believe what it says I am I can do what it says I can do I am a believer and not a doubter a doer not just a hearer today I will learn from God's word and my life will never be the same because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God All right, still talking about the worry-free life. Amen? The worry-free life. We discovered that uh, 75 to 90% of all doctor's visits were stimulated or caused by stress-related issues. Amen? By worry and anxiety. So in other words, this person didn't have anything wrong with them but they worried themselves into the doctor's consultation rooms. Amen? And uh, we also discovered that South Africa spends about $15 billion per annum uh, uh, on, on, on stress-related issues, on worry-related and fear-related issues. People will go and buy drugs to go to sleep, uh, uh, drugs to stay asleep, and drugs to wake up, and spend money on that kind of stuff. Amen? And uh, Jesus had something to say about it. If you remember, we started off with Jesus in Matthew chapter number 6. And he said, don't worry. Look at the birds of the air. If your heavenly father feeds them, how more valuable are you to your heavenly father? He will certainly take care of you. What you should do, he said in verse 33, is to seek first, foremost, primary, the kingdom of God. And all these things that you're worrying about will be taken care of you. Amen? That was Jesus. Today, we're going to find out what the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said to the church at Philippi concerning the issue. And if we go to Philippians chapter number 4, verse 6, it starts with these words, Be anxious for nothing. And if you're reading in the New International Version, the NIV, it says, Do not worry about anything. I don't know how simple uh, the Bible can get. I think it's pretty clear, right? He says, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Now, how much is left outside of nothing? Nothing. So what that means is he's saying, do not worry about the small ones or the big ones. Don't worry about any of that stuff. Give it all to him. Amen? Amen. You know, when I was growing up in the Lord, I used to sometimes feel sorry for God when I'd get problems. I'd look at the small ones. Those were easy to cast unto the Lord or to give to God or to pray about it. But the big ones, I'd really look at them and say, man, these ones are big. I I doubt if God has enough gush to, he has enough backbone to carry these ones. So I would keep the big ones to myself. And boy, did they mess up my life. Boy, did they worry me. Some will lose calories. Some will gain calories just worrying about stuff that they should give to God. So he says, do not worry about anything. Instead, this is what you should do. Instead, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to your friends. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to your spouse. I'm just going to tell, I'm just going to tell him how I really feel about, no, he says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. 
And when you do that, watch what happens. This is where the magic is. When you tell God your problems, here's what happens. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, the peace of God, which goes beyond what you can figure out with your peanut brain, will supernaturally guard your heart and your mind through Christ. And there's a supernatural peace that is available for people who choose to tell their problems to God. Mm, that's good. Not people who choose to get on the phone and tell someone, someone about it. People who tell it to God. Amen? Now watch what he says in verse 8. Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report. I was saying in the first service, someone owned a, uh, an interior decorations company and they used this verse to you know, decorate people's houses. And I see why. Because some people's houses, if you walk into there, it's full of dead things. Amen? And you would use this verse to decorate uh, people's houses. What better verse to use to decorate the house of your heart? He says, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue or value, if there is any praiseworthy Think on these things or meditate on these things. Why does he say this? Because your thought life determines your, you, the peace that you experience. Man, we need to learn how to rule and govern our thought life. Watch what he says in Isaiah 26 verse uh, 3. Isaiah 26 verse 3. Man, it's going to be awesome today. Look what, what it says. It says, you will keep him, talking about God, in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Notice, peace is a byproduct of where you put your mind. Or peace is a byproduct of what you think on. If you keep your mind stayed on the Lord, it will produce peace. If you keep your mind stayed on other things, it will produce exactly what you're focusing on. Amen? So God wants you to have control over your thought life. That's why he says in Proverbs chapter number 4 verse 23, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it will flow the what? The issues of life. Your life flows from your heart. How many of you have issues? Well, let me tell you where they are coming from. From your heart. Amen? Now watch what he says in Ephesians chapter number 6 verse 16. Still talking about the same thing. Ephesians chapter number 6, uh, verse 16. Thank you, Jesus. Ephesians uh, 6, verse 16. He's talking about putting on the whole armor of God. And as he's uh, rounding up, he says, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, this verse talks about the wiles of the devil. It talks about the fiery darts. It talks about the way Satan attacks the believer, to which the apostle Paul wrote and said, put on the whole armor of God. And in this particular verse, he describes this attack as fiery darts. Before this, he describes the attacks as wiles of the devil which are basically deceptions, which happen in your mind. And in this verse, he's still talking about the same thing, just a different expression. He says, fiery darts of the wicked one. And basically, this is a graphic illustration of, you know, when soldiers, soldiers would go to war, they would, you know, go with bows and arrows. Some of you watched Braveheart, and the commander would call for archers. And then they would come out with bows and arrows, dip that thing in fire, and then send it in the enemy's direction. 
These are the fiery darts that Satan is consistently sending in the direction of God's children. And they come in the form of thoughts. Someone say thoughts. Thoughts. Suggestions. Someone say suggestions. And ideas. Someone say ideas. Every time Satan wants to attack you, he is going to bring a thought, an idea, or a suggestion. These are the fiery darts he's talking about. To which he says, you must quench with the shield of your faith. Amen? What would happen? What would happen? In fact, let me ask the man here. Simeon would know something about this. When you're fixing cars and some of that fuel, you know, goes uh, on your hand or your leg or whatever, what's the first thing you do as you leave that station where you're fixing cars? Wash it off. How come you won't leave it on you and just go about your day? Because it makes you what? Vulnerable. And that's the graphic illustration the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying there are fiery darts coming your way to which you must position yourself to be uh, 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 not non-flammable. See, some of you are walking around highly flammable. How do you become non-flammable? Give me uh, Ephesians chapter number 5 verse 26. Ephesians chapter number 5, uh, verse 26. It's talking about Jesus. Okay, verse 25. I see what you're doing, engineer. You, you, want, you want your wife to see that one. It's, I see what you're doing. It's like, Pastor, I know you want to start on verse 26, but, you know, I'm the one putting the scriptures up. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And I see why he's doing this, because his wife is not here. So he's setting up all the other men. (laughs) We may as well read it today. (laughs) Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse or wash her with the washing of water by the word. So God has given us his word to be the water that we can use to wash off this highly flammable stuff. Because he knows every time you go to work, there's some prognosticators and doubters that are going to smear or pour some flammable stuff on you. Every time you pick a newspaper to read, someone is pouring some flammable stuff on you. When you get home, you need to spare some time to go into the shower of the word so you can wash that stuff off. So that when the fiery darts of the wicked one come, you can extinguish them. You know, when I was young, growing up, I used to run away from bathing. And my children do the same. And they, they are my children. I know they are my children. They don't like bathing. And I used to run away from bathing. And in fact, that's what spiritually immature believers do. They, they will make all kinds of excuses to run away from the washing of the word. You know, when it's word time, for them it's nap time. Just hunt your neighbor and say, are you, are you awake? Are you awake? Just, just awake. This is why when we, when we send out the devotion for life group, man, that thing is chock full of the word. We're just making a little commentary on the word. Because we know it's not our opinions that washes you. It's going to be the word of God that has been given to wash you. And we, we've, we've realized that there's not only just, you know, being washed once a week is not good enough. So we've said, come on Sunday and be washed. We send you a, a devotion on Tuesday so you can wash some more. And you get together with other believers on Thursday so you can wash some more. Aren't your neighbor and ask them, how much are you 
washing. In fact, let me help the single people. Any single people in the house? I'm a single people. I'm a single. Let me help you something. Don't marry someone who doesn't like washing. Both in the natural and spiritually. Man, if you're dating someone who will make all kinds of excuses to be around a place where people are being washed by the washing of the word. Man, that person is highly flammable. It may not be me, but if I'm staying with someone who's highly flammable, when the fiery does come, they're bringing down the whole house. So he says, by the washing of your word. So we need to make sure that we stay at the place where we are continuously washing off this flammable stuff that the world is trying to put on us so that when the fiery darts of the enemy come, we can extinguish them or put them out. Amen? I bumped into a quotation by Dr. Caroline Leaf. Let me just share that quotation uh, while we're here uh, about the negativity of, you can put it up, uh, uh, engineer. Watch what he says. He says, every time you say a negative statement, you release a negative quantum energy throughout your body that affects the environment. Before I even finish reading the quote, he says, every time you release uh, a negative statement, you are releasing into the atmosphere. Some of you uh, uh, who are married, some of you who have visited, you know, uh, people who have just been having a fight before you got there. When you walked into the house, they can try and put on a plastic mask. Would you want some food? But you know the atmosphere. You can sense it. How many of you can agree? You can, man, you'd be like, man, there was just something. I could cut that thing with the knife. You know what they're doing? When they're releasing all that negativity in that house, it is like having a tap uh, 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 of gas just open into your house, just letting out stuff into your house, into your house. Just letting out and when the fiery does come, what do you think will happen? And then when you come for counseling and you want counseling from the pastor, and the pastor says, what really happened? And then we find out it's a matchstick. It's, this is a matchstick. This shouldn't have brought the house down. Yeah. And then we realize, no, they've been releasing negativity into the atmosphere. So when this little strike of a matchstick happened, the whole house came down. This is why the Bible says, strive is a dangerous spirit. Because it makes the atmosphere highly flammable. It says where they strive, there's confusion and every evil work. Amen? He's talking about the atmosphere. So she says it affects the environment of your brain, which then affects the rest of the body, putting it into toxic stress. So, man, you and I have to learn how to guard our hearts. We need to learn how to function at the place of Philippians chapter number 4, verse 8. Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, whatsoever things are just, and so on and so forth, if there is any virtue, think on these things. Spend your time thinking about this one thing. You know why? Because everything starts in your thought life. Everything starts with your thought life. When you're highly flammable, Satan will come and drop a thought in your, in your mind or an idea and a suggestion. He says, man, how does divorce happen? He comes and drops a thought, an idea, and a suggestion. She ain't treat you right. He doesn't treat you right. She doesn't cook for you. She doesn't, she doesn't do this. She doesn't look at it. She's, man, she's, she's a nag. She's a nag. And then here's what happens. If you're taking down notes, write this down. Worry, the fuel for worry is the attention you give it. And the minute Satan drops that thought, you need to cast it down. 
and say, no, she's a good woman. She's a God-fearing woman. That's and right. begin to prophesy over her. That's right. Some of you men will sit there and say, oh, man, yeah, she doesn't treat me right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at that. <laughs> look at it. And you stay on that door. Hey, look at that. Man, she's a little heavier. I've always wanted a Naomi Campbell anyway. Well, let me tell you something, fool. She gave birth to your children. That's the reason why she's not Naomi Campbell. Man, you stay on that thought, and then you get to work. Does your wife cook for you? And he says, oh, man, my wife cooks for me, and she doesn't even bother me. On Friday, she doesn't call me. I go back home. And I, exactly. I knew that woman. That woman was a problem. And then you go and find a scripture for it. It is better. The Bible even said it's better to live on top of the house, exposed to the elements, than inside the house with a nagging woman. Man, you start preaching to yourself and start getting all kinds of revelation. And after about two months, that idea starts appealing to you. What happened? You entertained it. You gave it attention. And when you give an idea, a thought, a suggestion, that is contrary to God's word, attention, man, that thing begins to grow. And you are increasing its lifespan. What should happen is you should cut off the fuel supply by ignoring it. Even in in the natural, you know, people, relationships. People don't talk to people who ignore them much. If if they send you a message and you ignore them, they send you another, man, they're just going to give up on you and stop talking to you. That's what happens with these ideas. When they come, that's what happens when worry comes. Man, when you ignore that thing, you you cut off the life supply. When the doctor said you've been diagnosed with this thing, man, when you don't pay attention to that thing, you take the power out of it. But when you start meditating on that diagnosis report and, oh, man, they said I'm going to die in six months. Man, you're fueling that thing. Amen? So this is why you need to guard your heart. You need to learn how to control your thoughts. Let us go to First Samuel chapter number 10. Number 30. First Samuel chapter number 30. There's going to be a lot of people watching this week, I can guarantee you. Man, you've got to wash off this stuff with, with, with the word of God. Confessions. Uh, Designer Life. Man, they came up with a hot concept where they're sending out confessions every week. And you can say these word-based confessions over yourself. And what are you doing? You're washing yourself by the washing of the word. Because all of them are word-based. Watch what it says in First Samuel chapter number 30, verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and attacked and burned it with fire. And had taken captive the women and those who were there. From small to great, they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. Verse 3. So David and his men came to the city. They were coming back from battle. And there it was, burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Man, this is a bad situation. This is triple bad. You're coming back from battle. You're coming back from defending Israel. You're coming back from a God assignment. And as you come back, the whole city has been, you know, destroyed. The whole city, they've taken everyone captive. And watch what happens in verse 4. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept. That's just a fancy word for they cried. Then the warriors cried. These are not, you know... Weak men. These are warriors. They're coming back from battle. They cried until they had no more power to cry. In other words, they cried until they fainted. This is bad. 
and it says in verse uh, 5, And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezerites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed. This is a stressful situation. You see it? It says David was greatly distressed. And watch what he says. For the people spoke of stoning him. So the soldiers that David was with, 600 of them, turned against him and they said, Now we want to kill you because you are the one who has caused this problem. And watch what happened. Because uh, the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. I like this. You can't always rely on someone to encourage you. You can't always rely on the pastor or the, the life group leader or the people around you to encourage. Sometimes you have to learn how to encourage yourself. Man, you have to encourage yourself in the Lord. David began to encourage himself in God. And I believe David went back to some of the songs that he had written about God's goodness and started singing them out loud. He went back to Psalm 103 and said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. He started commanding his soul to give God praise. In fact, that's what the Bible calls it in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 13. It calls it a sacrifice of praise. It says, let us offer therefore a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips. Man, when you start offering a praise at sacrifice level, you start encouraging yourself. What that means is, I'm going to praise you even when it doesn't feel like it. I'm going to praise you even if this situation around me is killing me. Because something has to die when you bring up the word sacrifice. I may be dying. Things around me may be dying. But I'll still praise you. Verse 2 of Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not his benefits. I believe David started reminding himself of the goodness of God. He started reminding himself of God's faithfulness. He started reminding himself that his promises are yes and amen. He started reminding himself that I will rest in those promises. I will rest in his faithfulness. And as he did that, he snapped out of the place of discouragement and stress. And watch what happened. Next verse. Then David said to Abiata the priest, uh, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiata brought the ephod to David. So David was getting ready to go into a place of prayer. So he asked for an ephod. An ephod basically was a prayer shower. And the reason why David asked for this prayer shower was because the Ark of the Covenant had been taken by the Philistines. So in, in the absence of the Ark of the Covenant, David asks for the prayer shower. But both of them are just a representation of God's word. So you and I don't need to be buying prayer showers from televangelists on television so we can make our prayers powerful. Then we came for a prayer meeting the one time. It was a men's prayer meeting. And uh, it was on Tuesday. And this brother came and he had a prayer shower straight out of Israel. And he was leading prayer, you know, covering himself. I said, what's that thing? He said, man, this is a prayer shower. So what it's for? That's what David used. Yeah, he used it because the Ark of the Covenant had been captured. Why are you using it? He used it because he didn't have God's word. Why are you using it? You see how we like symbolism? In fact, we like superstitious stuff. We just, man, God is making it simple. We're trying to make it harder. God says, hey, just pray. 
with thanksgiving. And I'll give you supernatural peace. Yeah, but I want to add this super, yeah. No, the reason he asked for the thing is because the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. Next verse, watch what happens. So David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? You know why David now can hear the voice of the Lord? Because he's now moved from a place of stress and worry and fear. See, you can't hear God clearly when you're still stressed out about it. When the emotions are high, man, you can't hear God clearly. You can hear yourself. And as David praised God, as David, you know, the Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. Or the presence of God is made manifest when we lift up a praise. As David began to lift up a praise, he said to God, uh, shall I uh, pursue, overtake, and recover? And the Lord said, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and without fail recover everything. And we know, according to the story, that David pursued, overtook, and recovered everything that they had lost. Man, I'm telling you, you need to make praise and worship a lifestyle. In fact, that's our tip for this week. We said we're going to give you uh, a tip at the end of uh, each message that, you know, you can use to counter and go against uh, worry. And now, let us go to Psalm uh, 16, verse 11. And this week's tip is simply be a committed praise and worshiper. This helps you to focus on God. Have a praise party. Hey, when Satan brings you challenges in life, have a praise party in your car. Start singing songs that are word-based in your car. And as you start playing them, you start declaring who God is. Our God is greater. Man, you start, you start making him big. In fact, when you lift up a praise, when you release words of, of praise to God, you make him big in your heart. Yeah. See, whatever you praise, you focus on. And whatever you focus on, you magnify. As you focus on God, you start making God big and big and big. God is already big. Yeah. But to some people, he's not big in their hearts. Yeah. As you start praising God, you start making him big in your heart. You start seeing His awesomeness. You start seeing how powerful he is. And as you do that, your problems start shrinking. And get smaller and smaller and smaller. As the praise party is finished, you will turn back. Most people will turn back and, where is that problem? But when you flip it and focus on the problem and make the problem bigger and bigger and bigger, you start making God in your heart smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And before you know it, you have this smolanyana God in your heart. Who doesn't have power. And then guess what? You're going to stay at the place of worry. Because whatever you focus on grows. And this is practical stuff. I like practical. Watch what it says. It says you will show the path of life in your presence's fullness of joy. Then when you are confronted with life challenges, go into God's presence. It says in his presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And when you go into God's presence, there is joy. You just start laughing. You just start having a good time. You walk out of that place and you're not in fear anymore because you know your God is an awesome God. In fact, God thinks praise is such a powerful warfare weapon. He told King Jehoshaphat to put the praise and worshipers in front of the army. And as they marched towards the enemy's camp singing, Our God is awesome. God is good. And his mercies endure forever. There was confusion in the enemy's camp. Let me show you how to trouble your troubles. Lift up a praise. Man, when you lift up a praise, there is confusion in the camp of the things that were getting ready to torment you. 
Now watch what it says in Nehemiah chapter number 8 verse 10. Nehemiah has gone back to Jerusalem to build the, 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 the walls. You remember the story? And as they were building, you know, there was so much opposition. The whole camp was, became discouraged and distressed, like some of you today. And this is what Nehemiah told them to do, to counter that stress. Watch what he says. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat. I mean, Nehemiah, is this the best that you could come up with? Go home and have a bribe. I mean, do you see how serious this issue is? We have such opposition. We are going to be destroyed. And this is what you could come up with? Yes, because he understands that in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen? He says, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is whole. Do not sorrow. Because sorrow stops the flow of God. See, there are lots of people in the body of Christ that think God responds to sympathy. God doesn't respond to sympathy. God responds to praise. Remember Paul and Silas? They are sitting in jail, Acts chapter number 16. These boys have been beaten. They have wounds everywhere. And they're sitting in prison. They had two choices to make. Complain about it or give God the praise. They could have sat there and complained about it. And they had lots of reasons to complain about it. Listen, the message of the gospel we are preaching is not even our message. It's not even our idea. God came up with it. Now we're getting beat up for it. And they throw us in prison. Listen, I'm innocent. Look at these people. These are murderers. I'm innocent. Now they beat me up. Look at how badly wounded you are. They could have started talking about their wounds. Look at this one. Ooh, this one hurts. They could have started talking about their situation. But you know what the Bible says? It says at midnight, Paul and Silas began to pray and sing praises unto God. And to confirm the scripture, the Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. God left heaven to go into the prison with them. And the prison was too small for God. The prison doors were broken. Fly open. And they got a breakthrough. Why? Because they focused on praise. It works like a boomerang. While you're focusing on praise, God is delivering you out of all your trouble. God knows you have troubles. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. But God shall deliver them out of how many? All of them. And as you focus on God, God gets to do his job. He's the deliverer. He will begin to deliver you out of all your troubles. Amen? Watch what he says. He says, do not sorrow. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Man, you need to bring yourself to the place of joy. Man, whenever I'm attacked by, you know, thoughts, ideas, and suggestions that are contrary to God's word, man, I'll slip some praise and worship music in my uh, car and just start singing along. Just have a praise party and just start declaring these things. Just start speaking them out of my own mouth. The Lord shall uh, uh, perfect that which concerns me. I start letting those words come out of my mouth. God is good and his mercies endure forever. I start letting those words come out of my mouth. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thank you, Lord, that I'm going through and I'm not camping in the valley of the shadow. Amen. Yeah, that's right. 
And I start declaring these words. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. A thousand will fall at his side and ten thousand at his right hand, but it will not come near him. And I am the one. It will not touch me. Even this shall pass too. And I start preaching to myself. I start praising God. And as I do that, everything shifts. I start gaining some strength. And I can go about my business and win. That's what God has called you and I to. He has called us to live the worry-free life. Because he, didn't, he has not designed you and I to carry this worry. In fact, he says in 1 Peter chapter number 5, verse 6, we're going to be dealing with that next week. He says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. He doesn't want you to walk around carrying them. All your cares, not just the big ones, not just the small ones, all of them. If anything is troubling you this morning, I want to encourage you to cast it on God. Leave it here. And how do you know you've left it here? You're not going to be thinking about it driving home. Don't cast it and take it back. Oh, that, you know, there you go. But no, no, not this one. I need this one. I need this one. In fact, Dr. Phil will say, a little worry is okay. No, not according to God. Not according to God. He says, cast all of them and leave them there. Amen? Because he has called you to live the worry-free life. Why don't you stand on your feet? Thank you, Jesus. You have just been listening to a life-transforming message from Faith Hill Church. For more inspirational teachings, be sure to visit our website at www.faithhillchurch.co.za forward slash sermons. We walk by faith and not by sight. Faith here, that's right.